God is good. Right. Today we're going to start uh, continuing our series on the book of Matthew, and we've reached now chapter eight. And chapter eight and nine and ten begins a series that after the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus begins to go out into the real world and begins to bring healing, deliverance, signs, and wonders. At the same time, in between all this, he gives some teaching about discipleship. In fact, he lays down what I call the cost of discipleship. So today, what we're going to look in chapter 8 is the section called The Cost of Following Jesus, which I've entitled, It Costs to Follow Jesus. This afternoon, on the third and fourth service, Wayan will, will talk about healings and, uh, because he's really good at it, right? Life gen people are really good at it. Yeah, and so he's going to talk about it. But today I'm going to talk about it costs to follow Jesus. So turn with me now to the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, we're just going to read from verse 18 to 22. Very few verses, so I'm sure you can do that. So maybe turn to your Bibles, whether digital or physical. Turn to it. And one of the things uh, I think in this church, we really want to uh, really practice is that you do bring your Bibles to church. The reason why I want you to look in the Bible is that some people actually have complained. Why do you ask us to bring the Bible to church when we actually never open to it? So turn to your friend and say, today we are going to open to our Bibles. All right? So praise God for wonderful believers, isn't it, in this church? They actually want to bring their Bibles to church and they actually want to read from the Bible. Praise God. Now let's look at this, verse 18. So join me, join me in reading these verses. It's not on the screen, it's not on the screen. It will be in your Bibles, all right? Are you ready? Are you ready? If you're ready, say yes. Come, one, two, three, go. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then the teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And now the disciples said to him, Look, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. And may the Lord help me even to share something from this section. It looks an easy section to read but a hard section to share and preach on, as well as a hard section to practice. You know, here is the background to that story. In, chapter eight, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus has gone onto the mountain and shared on a wonderful uh, sermon. Actually, it was one of the best sermons ever preached on earth, the Sermon on the Mount. But the crux of all sermons is not the sermon. It is who will take on this sermon and now practice it. But Pastor Chu preached here only a week ago, two week, a week ago, that actually the best understanding of the Sermon on the Mount is will you put it into practice? Will he who hear the word put it into practice? Because only those who put it into practice are the wise hearers. So turn to your friend and say, I'm the wise one, so you're not the foolish one. Amen? The wise person puts it into practice. And all the wise people say, Amen. So Jesus now goes out from that mountaintop and goes into the villages and begins to bring healing, deliverance to the crowds. And so in the last, uh, in verse about uh, 14 onwards, Jesus went about and began to go to Peter's house and heals the mother-in-law. Look, look at the Bible. Can you do that? Because we're going to look at the Bible. Now look at verse 19, uh, 16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. 
and he drove out the spirit with a word and healed all the sick. So look at this that's happening. He healed all the sick. He drove out all the demons that were coming to him. This was to fulfill what was spoken to the prophets. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now, Jesus had a huge following because it says that when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he actually wasn't interested in the crowd. He gave orders to the people, to the disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Now, this is the crux of it all. Even as Jesus begins to preach wonderful sermons, even as he begins to perform miracles, signs and wonders, casting out demons, the call of Jesus Christ in those three years was primarily to find and build and grow disciples. Why? Because only disciples will take on the form of the master. Okay, don't understand, never mind. In other words, if there is a master, there must be a disciple. And if there's a disciple, the purpose of a disciple is to be like their master. Amen? And why was Jesus interested only in growing disciples? Because only disciples will take on his whole DNA and change the world. Amen? The call of Jesus Christ was not just for those three years he was there. The call of Jesus Christ was to seek and to save that which was lost forever and ever and ever. Do you know, so powerful was the way Jesus trained the disciples that these 12 men and those after him in less than 50 years, in spite of tremendous persecution, in spite of every law of the well-land against them, in spite that all the religious order of that day persecuted them, in spite of the fact that they were totally incongruent to the whole worldview at that time, in spite of the fact that they were poor, in spite of the fact that they had no resources, in spite of the fact they had no great degrees from Harvard and Yale and all these wonderful Ivy League universities. But they had followed Jesus and they've been discipled by Jesus. Because of that, in less than 50 years, the values of the kingdom of God pushed back the values of darkness. And the whole Western world was changed in less than 50 years. And for the next 100 to 200 years, the whole world was going to be shaped. That is the call of discipleship. And can I just share this as well? In our 25th year, this is our 25th year, in this 25th year, as we enter the 25th year of SIBKL, I think God began to lay upon Pastor Chiu and my heart to make this, to grow disciples, not just to grow a congregation, not just to grow a crowd that comes and listens to sermons, but to grow a disciples. Why disciples? Because we want to build strong, excellent, dynamic disciples who can influence the nation and impact generations. Turn to your friend and say, this is SIB vision statement. Amen? This is SIB's vision statement. What is the vision before us? What gives us the energy to do what we do? What gives us the incentive to do what we do? Because every time we come onto this pulpit to share with you our sermons, our aim is to produce strong, excellent, dynamic disciples of Jesus Christ that will influence this nation. No matter what is against us. Amen? No matter how much darkness there is. Turn to your friend. Influence this nation. Wow, nobody would be influenced by you. Do you believe that we can influence the nation? If you believe, says yes, we are here to influence the nation and impact generations. Thousand generations after us, they will be impacted. And that is why the call of Jesus and the call to SIB today is still the same. Growing strong, excellent, dynamic 
disciples. Amen? Amen. Come on, if you believe in that, say amen. Come on, say amen. Say, I want to be a strong, excellent, dynamic disciple of Jesus Christ. Come on, one, two, three, go. If you come in to be a member, if you come in to be the congregation, that is the call of SIP. Strong, excellent, dynamic disciples. Amen? Now, when Jesus met these two men, so look at the, go back to your scriptures and we give you the context of it. When Jesus met this man, the first man actually said to him, here's a teacher of the law. He must have seen all the sermons. That, he must have been so impressed with Jesus' sermon. Now look at your Bibles because I really want you to train you. I'm, today, we're training you to look at every word in the Bible because that's where discipleship starts. It starts by not listening to just me talk. It starts by listening to looking at the Bible. Look at this. The context is he has just heard the Sermon on the Mount. He has just seen Jesus cast out demons. And this teacher of the law, it says. That means he already knows the law. But he sees something in Jesus. So he came to him and says, teacher. He calls him rabbi. I will follow you wherever you go. Obviously, he doesn't know who Jesus is. And Jesus says to him, foxes have holes, the birds of the nest, but son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, the man wants to follow Jesus. And he adds on this word, wherever you go. Sounds a bit like a Liverpool song, huh? Mm. Yeah. Never, what? I don't know the song, never mind. Uh. I know nothing about football, okay? I still don't know what is offside and inside and outside, yeah? So I'm not a good follower of football. But he said, I will follow you wherever you go. Now Jesus turns to him and begins to look at him eyeball to eyeball. Are you sure you can follow me wherever you go? And gives him a challenge. Listen, in other words, he's saying to this man, if you dare say to me, you want to follow me wherever you, I go, I want you to know, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but I cannot promise you even a comfort, comfortable bed but he uses the term, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And here is a choice in becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Can we meet the demands of being a disciple? Now to the second man, let's look at the second man. Jesus began to say, to, this is an interesting case. The difference between the first man and the second man is this. The first man actually wants to follow Jesus, but cannot meet the demands. The second man is different. He's called a disciple. Wow, everybody say disciple. Disciple means he has been following Jesus. But now comes a moment when he has to make a decision. Will I continue to follow or will I stop following? So he says, the disciple says to him, Lord, I have a situation. Can I first go and bury my father? And Jesus said to him, follow me. As if to say, because he says, can I first go? Look at the word first. Can I have this priority to go and bury my father first? Then maybe I will come back and follow you. Now, what was the situation? In those days, the Jews would bury, when their, when their fathers died or their loved ones died, there would be a funeral as normal as today. But there was a one year's period during which the bones and the ashes would be now, there would be one year. Within that one year, they would do a second burial. In the second burial, they would take the bones and the ashes and either, I don't know where they take it, but they would do a second burial. This disciple was referring to the second burial. And actually, 
Maybe he doesn't know when this one year second burial will be. So he's actually saying to Jesus, Jesus, you know as well as I know, I am a good a child, son of my father. My father has died. But you know what? Within this one year, can I delay following you so that I can wait till my father's second burial is done? Then I will come and follow you. Now, it is a legitimate excuse. But here again, Jesus puts on a second demand. Here is a disciple who has already been following him. When you have followed Jesus, Jesus will lift the demands to another level. Now it's about timing. It's about opportunity. Will he delay that one year and miss all the opportunity of that one year? And he does not know Jesus is only going to be on earth for three years. He doesn't know that. But Jesus knew. So that's why Jesus turns to him and says, Follow me, as if to imply, follow me first and let the dead bury the dead. So one of the calls of discipleship is this. We will have to make choices. And there's a cost to each one of this choice. Where's the clicker? I can't find the clicker. Oh, here it is. There is a cost to each of this choice. The first cost is the cost of comfort. The man that wanted to follow Jesus wherever he went was faced with a problem of comfort. The second man, who was a disciple already and had to choose, would he not follow Jesus in that one year and wait till his father's second bureau take place? He had a difficult decision because his decision was of conflicting loyalties or conflicting allegiance and also a choice or a difficult cause of time. An opportunity. Would he consider that it was more important, a bigger priority of time for him to bury his father first or to follow Jesus? These three choices or costs is always before us. As we think about becoming a disciple, that not just a follower, not just a sermon hearer, but someone who will build their house upon a rock, that when the storms rise and the rain comes down, that the house will be totally indestructible, indestructible. As we make the choice of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ that will influence the world and impact generations after us, we have to look at the cost of discipleship. Comfort, even relationships, and definitely our priorities of time. Let's look at the comfort zone. So in this statement, when Jesus says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, he's dealing with this thing called comfort zone or conveniences. One of the biggest challenges to us as disciples of Jesus Christ is we do not like inconveniences. Neither do we like uncertainties. One of the problems when we lead someone to the Lord is that we almost promise them a rose garden. We almost promised them that, you know, if you come to Jesus Christ, all your problems will be solved, all your prayers will be answered, and you will get a terrific wife that loves you forever and ever, and a husband that every day buys roses for you. Don't, actually, don't worry. Even if he never bought you roses, never mind. Pastor Chua and I totally forgot that last week, Friday was our anniversary. Honestly, when you've been married 44 years, you don't care whether they buy roses or not. I wondered why in the early years we quarreled so much about buying roses. Because, do you know, we totally forgot. You know who told us? Anne Lim, Daniel Tan's wife. She sent a message to me and said, Happy anniversary. Then I turned to my husband and said, Hey, darling, uh, today anniversary. Well, then he turned to me and said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't buy roses. I said, Forget about it. Then I went to work. Again, totally forgot. There's so much work. Then Grace sends me a note. 
happy anniversary and the staff sang an anniversary greeting. Oh, so don't worry, all right? Don't worry. But you know, that is what sometimes we talk about. We talk about all these things that we must have. We talk about, we must, well, if I follow Jesus, does it mean I'll have a poorer job? You know, uh, uh, long, 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 long ago, uh, I told myself I'll never be a pastor and definitely not a pastor's wife. They suffer too much, right? They will live in that house for the rest of their lives. See, this is the thought we have in following Jesus, right? We begin to have all kinds of concepts. We are not prepared to live out of the comfort zone. But that is really something we have to consider. Will we, be in, will we allow inconveniences? Will we say that it's so inconvenient for me to have to wake up in the night to pray? It's so inconvenient for me to actually as a disciple of Jesus Christ to start reading my Bible because if I start reading my Bible the way you guys tell me three chapters at a time, I will never get onto Facebook and Instagram. But actually, if you get onto Facebook, what good is it? You'll be a disciple of the world, not a disciple of Jesus Christ. The half hour you spend on Facebook, if you only get out of that comfort zone and start reading your Bible, you would become a strong, excellent, dynamic disciple that can change your family. Amen? Amen? Now the second cause is the cause, it's a harder one. It's a cause of conflicting allegiance. This is a harder one because even though, yes, yes it is a tradition, one year to bury the father. And because of that, he was drawn into, maybe his brothers had said, hey, you better not follow Jesus. Huh? You've been spending too much time away from home. You better stay. Huh? Make sure you're around. When we give dad the second burial, maybe this man really has been following Jesus. And he began to say that, the, the brothers maybe came to him and said, you better stay at home. So he had a difficult time. Do he listen to his brothers? Do he listen to his mother? Maybe the, the mother is alive. And the mother says, son, you have been following Jesus too much. We don't even know who this Jesus is. We really don't know who he is. You're just following him. You're wasting your time. You need to be around when we bury our father. So he has a difficult problem. Conflicting loyalties. In fact, Jesus goes on in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is an even harder call to discipleship. Really, the book of Matthew is not a call to just hear about sermons. The book of Matthew is truly a call into serious discipleship, disciples that will change the world. And so, in chapter 10, Jesus actually says something even more serious. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me, and now the key is more than me, is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, is Jesus, what is this all about? Is Jesus asking us, when you become a Christian, forget about your family? Answer is no. Is Jesus saying to us, you know what? When you follow me, you must forsake your mother and father, forsake your children. Is that the truth? No. The, the whole truth lies in more than me. Why is that important? Now, let me share my story. I don't come from a Christian home. I came from a totally non-believing home. A home that's steeped in Buddhist, and well, Taoist, whatever, Chinese beliefs. My mother had an altar in her house every day. And every Chinese festival, she would worship, she would celebrate. My father was a very learned man. And he considered Christianity only for weak people. I became a believer, a Christian, at the age of 13. At the age of 13, and as a teenager, growing up in that kind of a home is not easy. In fact, my parents were so 
angry when me and my sister professed that we had followed Jesus, that they told us adamantly, number one, my mother said to me, that means you are a disloyal child. Wow, the stigma of being told that I had become unloyal, disloyal to my family was a big one. It was almost a sentence on, my, on me. Secondly, my mother said to me, you cannot go to church. On my dying body, you go to church. So she made sure we never went to church. In fact, I never went to church until I went abroad to study in England. And you may wonder, how on earth then did I grow? Praise God for mission schools and missionaries who set up mission schools. Because I became a believer in my school. And the good news was that Every time there was a Christian union, I would make it a point to go. I was so desperate to, be, to know more about Jesus. And then my mother also said, don't you ever let me see you. Actually, she didn't know that I was reading the Bible, but one day she caught me reading the Bible. and said, don't you ever dare read this book in front of me. So I had to hide to read the Bible. Very often, it was only after the lights were out. In fact, sometimes she comes into our bedroom and says, don't fen gawa, don't fen gawa, don't me she ah. Okay, interpretation. Sorry, my mother spoke Cantonese, so it sounds nicer when I do it. Then you sound like you have heard my mother's voice. In other words, why, why are you doing still? Why are you doing still? Why don't you go to bed? So I had to hide under the blanket to really read my Bible or to wait till she's gone to bed. And that involved inconvenience. It meant waking up, uh, staying late at night, and yet have to go to school. And not only that, she absolutely would be furious if we even mentioned the name of Jesus. Just to mention the name of Jesus, she would go into a furore and she would scream at us and she would really hit us very violent, not hit us, but really be all kinds of threats. That was the cause of my discipleship. But praise God, in those early years, the schools, the, the Christians, the, the, my, the people who discipled us really taught us well. We didn't have conferences in those days, do you know that? We didn't have great seminars in those days, but we had great people who discipled as well. And they always taught us passages of scripture like this. You have to choose of loyalty to Jesus first versus being, obeying your mother. Loyalty to Jesus means obeying God rather than your mother. Now, does it mean I become a very, very disobedient child? No. On the contrary, I realized that total allegiance to Jesus Christ required me to have total obedience to Him. And if I have total obedience to Him, I needed to honour my mother and father more than what I had done before. In fact, I became more conscious that I was not, should not be rude when my mother tried to really hit at me. In fact, I was even more conscious that I had to be more diligent in washing plates, sweeping the floor. In fact, I had to be even more conscious that I had to be more obedient. So total allegiance to Jesus Christ actually causes you to be even more obedient, more loyal to those you profess to love. In fact, you know, one of the great things is, that, is this. We think that if only we don't follow, we don't, we half follow Jesus, half loyal to Jesus, but half loyal to our loved ones, we will make it. Do you know you won't make it? Let me give you another story. Another story is really in this church. I run the ladies' groups. In a lot of the ladies who follow who are in my ladies' group, they all have non-believing husbands. And the non-believing husbands very often give them a very, very hard time. I know of some of my uh, leaders even, 
Their, when they first came to know me, their husbands would absolutely not allow them even to go to church. And that's why we have Lady Cells. Lady Cells are good avenues for them to come in and to be encouraged and to be built up and to grow as a disciple. But even as they grow up as a disciple, they always had this cost. Would the husband find out that they have been following Jesus? Some were told they absolutely cannot read the Bible. I have one, I have one leader, one, one of my ladies. She started off by not allowed to go to church and gradually she found opportunities to go to church whenever she could. You know, we are so blessed here. Nobody is stopping you from going to church. But here are women who have, cannot go to church and we have to help disciple them to be strong enough to even at times when husbands are not around to come to church. And not only that, we have to disciple them to read their Bible. And this lady, her husband would absolutely forbid her to read the Bible and forbid her to bring the children to church. So the children were intimidated to the point that even when they went abroad to study, even when they were away from their father, they dare not go to church. But praise God, these women were prepared to pray, pay the cost of loyalty to Jesus. They grew in their discipleship. They learned to love their husbands even more. They learned to pray so much so that at certain points in the husband's uh, work life, they were meeting crisis. And suddenly the husband turned to the wife and says, will you pray for me? Wow, isn't that awesome? And so very often the husbands began to turn to their wife for prayer. And gradually the husbands told the wife, you better go to church. In fact, some of them said, how come you're not in church today? Isn't that awesome? And today... Some of these husbands are coming to know the Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, it's so awesome. And in fact, this lady, one leader of mine, even the husband hasn't come to know the Lord. You know what he has done? He tells her, read the Bible, read the Bible and tell me what you read. Isn't that awesome? And then he tells the wife now, now please take our daughter to church. Whoa, you see, strong, excellent, dynamic disciples who can influence lives. Influencing the home atmosphere. Amen? Impacting their children. I believe that it's a cost to of allegiance that we're called. But actually, Jesus said this. So that you and I do not need to say, I still don't want to give up my relationships. Now, some of you is not even, today I just said, some of you, the call to allegiance is not even to father, mother, or even to husband. It is to boyfriends and girlfriends, even to wrong relationships. This is even more serious. And God is asking you, you have to choose between me and that relationship that's occupying all your time and all your loyalty. So Jesus begins to say this to Peter. You see, there was a moment Peter said to the disciples of Jesus Christ, when they were told to follow him, had left everything. In chapter 9, you see the calling of Matthew himself, Levi. And when Jesus passed by Levi and says, follow me, there's something in Levi that made him leave everything and follow Jesus. So they had really left all. So what does Jesus answer to them? Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left homes or wife or brothers. Why don't we read this together? Because I think this is for all of us. One, two, three. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. In other words, God is saying to us, 
You may think right now, like he said to me, it costs you so much sense of disloyalty to your mother and your father to follow me. But I want you to know, if you don't follow me 100%, if you're not filled with the conviction that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, your parents' salvation will never come about. In the same way, I would say this, there was a time when my children were going through difficult things and God said to me, it's your conviction of your faith that they are watching. Not just your thoughts, not just you asking them to go to church. Very often we think, do you know when you become a believer, you're going to be a better daughter, you're going to be a better son, you're going to be a better husband, you're going to be a better wife. And because of that, a better parent, because of that, their salvation will come. But if you lose it all, if you stop following, what happens when the time comes when they really want to follow Jesus, as happened to me? Do you know how long it took for my parents to finally come to know the Lord? 25 years. It's a long, long time. I reached a point in my life, I told myself, if my parents can ever become Christians, the whole world can become Christians. Because they were so hard. They were so hard. They opposed me at every point and they ridiculed my faith. There was a time my father would turn to my mother and say, yeah, these are kids, you know. They will never make it one. They will sure give up one. It's only a teenage fantasy. Praise God. It was not a teenage fantasy for me. Amen. Praise God. Because many years after that, after I got married, wait a God, there was into it was the timing. They were watching me. I didn't know they were watching me. I didn't know. As they opposed me, they were watching me. They were watching, who is this Jesus that I believe in? There came a point when my house had a break-in and I called the name of Jesus and the thieves fell and ran away. They heard about that story. Then they heard another story. So time, no time to tell such stories. They heard another story of how during in 1986 there were riots in, in, in Sabah and how God had spoken to me the day before and the day before as I went through and the next day when I went through the riots I actually knew what to do and they were astonished they were astounded they were almost singing leave me astounded except they don't know the song right leave me amazed my mother turned to my father and says what kind of God does she have and because of that three months after that they began to go to church isn't that amazing come on come on come on come on come on it is worth you and I following Jesus to the hilt. Amen? The third thing, the second disciple also had to choose was time and timing. Now look at this. Turn to your Bible again. Look at verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. It's actually a question. It's actually a, a decision of priorities and timing. He's actually saying to Jesus, Jesus, you know as well as I do, I have this one year when I need to perform the second burial. Actually, Jesus, you know what? There will always be plenty of time to follow you after that. Can you get, give me a year off so that I can settle this? I want us to know this. It is, I, I like the way Matthew writes the story. You see, Matthew writes a story. You may say, you may ask yourself as you read this, why on earth is the cause of discipleship put here in between all the signs and wonders? There's a reason. The timing of the second two miracles, the, the stealing of the storm and the casting out of the demons from the gathering demoniacs happened after these men were given a challenge to follow him. So there was an opportunity to follow Jesus to see one of the most astounding miracles, the calming of the storm 
and the casting, cleansing of the region of Gadarenes from the de de demonic oppression. These two astounding miracles are recorded in all the Gospels. But these two would now have to decide, do I choose, especially the second one, do I choose to follow, to, to follow tradition, to please my mom, my brothers and sisters, or do I have to suffer being misunderstood by my brothers and sisters and follow Jesus? They had to choose. He had to choose. Timing is called a now time. If now, the Bible says, now is the day of salvation. It's not when your father dies only you receive Christ. It's not only when your children are older you receive Christ. It's not only when your children have gone to work and university, only you then begin to start reading your Bible. It's not only when you have a better job that you start praying and reading the Bible. Do you know sometimes, you know, Pastor Chiu and I often have this problem. We are at an altar call. And the anointing of that altar call is so specific. I remember Pastor Joe was so upset because there was an anointing at one point to heal a certain type of disease. And the person called it out. And it's not every day that we call out that. But, and we knew of someone who had that disease. But it would be a matter of timing and opportunity. But that person never came. Why did he never come? You see, inside a person who says, let me first go and bury my father. Inside that person is this thought, I will always have time. I will always have time to respond to Jesus. I will always have time to decide whether I want to become a believer or not. I will always have time to decide whether I will read the Bible or not. Do you know, the more we push away that time, the more that time will never come. The saddest thing is this, that when that time comes, even if, see, two things happen. When we push away time, first thing that happens is that we're always telling ourselves there will be time. And we don't know when that time may never come. If you die suddenly, there'll be no time. Even if you die somewhere far away and there's no one to lead you to the Lord, there is no time. Or it could be that when you keep pushing back the opportunity to follow Jesus, your heart is hardened. Your heart has been hardened. And so it becomes harder and harder for God to speak to you. Do you know, today, I really believe that some of you have been coming to church, but have not yet given your life to Jesus. I would say this, this is the time. God is saying to you, don't give an excuse, I need to earn more money. Don't give the excuse, I need to, my children is older. Don't wait for the excuse, I need to be completely healed of my disease first. Now is the time. Amen? Do you know something? I want to add one more thing. Now is also the time for revival in Malaysia. Do you know that? You may say, oh, it can happen 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now. No! Now is the time. Now is the time. And how do we know it? Now is the opportune time. And as we prepare for run out and sorrow out, two things begin to appear to us as if God is saying to us, you don't have any more time. Now is the time. I went to Sarawak two weeks ago and began to prepare the pastors for, to get ready. Now, in order to prepare to get ready for the event, I had to tell them it's not about the event. It's about God waking you up to bring revival into your nation. It is, now is the time to start learning how to pray. Now is the time to start growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you know what is the exciting thing about Sarawak? Pastor Chu just went there with Pastor Lindy. The exciting thing is that all the churches in Kuching are coming together. They sense now is the time. 
and they are getting ready for this big rally in September. Amen. They since they understand the importance of timing. How many churches were there? How many pastors? 100 and, 150 or something. That even the Archbishop of Anglican Church, the Archbishop of the Catholic Church. Wow, now is the time for Sarawak. There is no more time. Right now it's the same. Pastor Gilbert just came back from Rana. I was so excited. You know what's happening in Sabah? You may say to you, why did we do PJB 17? Why did we do Kudat? Why did we do all these things? Because we knew that was the time. There was not much time left. Even as we did PJB 17, 18, Rana and Kut Keningau. Now is the time to enter Rana. You know what's happening in the now time? Now in the now time, the Spirit of God moves. In the now time, there's anointing in the air. In the now time, the people of Rana has been Begun to go down prayer walks, prayer drives, prayer, even uh, prayer, what do you call that? Uh, mapping, even. And they are so ready that Pastor Gilbert comes and says, Wow, now is the time. <laughs> do you know something about this story? In the gathering demoniac, turn with me again to the gospel so that you can catch what the Spirit of God is trying to say to us. That's why we have to take our discipleship seriously. Look at the story. Just look at verse 20, um, okay, I think it's 28. 23, uh, 28. When he arrived on the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from, the, coming from the tombs met him. Now look at it. They were violent. Incidentally, this story, the two stories, there's a violent storm and a violent demons. Both will cause the world to shake. Violent storms, violent economic storms about to come and violent demonic oppression. So these men were so violent that no one could pass that way. And the Lord spoke to me, understand the times. Times are so important, and unless you catch and understand times and seasons, you can rise up at a different time, but it'll be too late. Because at this time, the word, no one could pass by. The Lord said to me, it's not just, Jesus didn't just come to set free the two men from demonic oppression. He came to set free the whole city, the whole town from demonic oppression. No one could pass through this town because this town was occupied by the demons. And that's why I sense God is saying to me, tell your people, now is the time for Malaysia. Now is the time. Turn to your friend. Now is the time for Malaysia. Now is the time to grow as a disciple. Now is the time to learn to read your Bible. Now is the time to learn to fast and pray. Now is the time to attend the prayer altars. This is the now time. Because in the now time, Jesus is going to cast out demons. Amen? And set the captives free. Amen? So this is what timing is so important. Now, why must we pay this cost? Three reasons. Because of who we are following. We're not following a church. We're not following a church program. We're not. We're not following a church program. We're not asking you to follow us. We're not asking you to follow a church program. We're not even following ideas and man's philosophies. We are following Jesus. How many of you are following Jesus? All who are following Jesus, put up your hands. Say to yourselves, I am following Jesus. Amen. We must get this right. I am not prepared to pay the cost of spending hours in prayer, hours in reading the Bible, hours in growing myself because I must grow. Why must I grow? Because the world needs a saviour. Why must I grow? Because I'm following Jesus. Who is Jesus? You see, these two men didn't get a chance to meet Jesus. In fact, the first man was told, the birds of the air have nests, uh, foxes have nests, 
birds of the air spew, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus was telling this man, yes, it costs you discomfort to follow me. Yes, I cannot promise you that you will have a nice house, nice career, nice children, nice uh, whatever that is. But I will tell you this, the person that is challenging you today is none other than the Son of Man that's described in the book of Daniel. And all Jews knew that the Son of Man referred to God Himself. The second thing is that, who is He following? See, he, they would miss the opportunity that this is not an ordinary man because when He speaks, even the wind and the waves obey Him. And not only that, He's also the Son of God. Even the demons tremble when they see him. And that is why, in fact, in chapter 9, Son of God and the Son of Man alone can forgive sin. So he, they were, they were, Jesus wanted them to realize when he gave the order to follow him, the, 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 or rather the choice to follow him, they were not following a program. Jesus didn't say, follow my program, follow my teachings, follow my Sermon on the Mount. He says, follow me. So let's remind ourselves, who is Jesus? Come on, let's, who is Jesus? Can we say this together? Who is Jesus? One, two, three. Therefore, God exalted, come on, let's, let's do it a bit stronger, shall we? One, two, three. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is the name of Jesus. We want to follow Jesus and understand and experience the power of his name. As I said with you, my parents were absolutely astounded that I could just call on the name of Jesus and the thieves would flee out of the room. I could just call on the name of Jesus and all the writers never attacked me. The power of his name. That is why I love this song at the mention of his name. You want to join me in singing this song? Um, sorry, uh, my throat no more already. Pastor Jeffrey, I, where are my singers? They're all gone. Okay. Yeah, all my singers are going, Lindy, you're good at this song. Come on, let's sing this song. Shall we do that? I love this song. In fact, I wanted this song to be sung, but I don't know why they didn't choose that. Mm. Never mind. Now, you sing for me. Are you ready? One, two, three. At the mention of your name, every chain will break. I know everything will change. Jesus. Just the whisper of your name Would silence wind and waves At the mention of your name One more time At the mention of your name You sing Every chain will break I know everything will change Jesus Just the whisper of Silence, wind and waves At the mention of your name Why? You are my strength You are my anchor And you never fail You are my hope You will deliver Emmanuel You are my strength You are my anchor And you never you are my hope. 
Lord, remind us that when we think about the demands of comfort or even of allegiance in following you, remind us that we are following Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. At the mention of his name, every name bows. Every demon spirit is cast out. At the mention of your name, we are comforted. Our storms begin to cease, O Lord God. Because you are our healer, you are never going to leave us. As the song says, you are our strength. And O Lord God, you are our hope. And you are Emmanuel, the Lord who is with us. In Jesus Christ we pray, Amen. That, yeah, come on, give a clap. Amen. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let me just say this to you. People love to follow film stars and celebrities. Don't waste your time. They cannot save you. They cannot cast out the demons. They cannot change the atmosphere. They cannot even be there when you need them. They cannot be your anchor. They cannot be your strength. Only Jesus can. And that is why we have to pay the cost. But why else do we want to pay the cost? I want to say this because it's not enough to pay the cost just to come to church, to pay the cost just to listen to a sermon. We have to pay the cost to grow up. If we never grow up, we will start with being an infant in Christ, but we never can be strong, excellent, and dynamic. I was taking a group of leaders last week during ELM, and I asked them this question. What will happen if you never grow or you get stunted in your growth? These are leaders. They have been growing, growing, but they felt stunted and they felt dry. And I asked them a very simple question. What will happen if you, never, if you don't grow from now on? There were two very good answers. One was from a mother. She says, I can't imagine my little baby here not growing. Can you imagine that all his life he only drinks milk? He will never experience eating meat. And can you imagine he never grows? Can you imagine my Jehan never growing to be able to now stand and ride bicycles all the time he only crawls? That would be, that would be a disaster, don't you think? So that's the reason why we must grow. The other person said a very good truth. He says, you know, in the corporate realm, today these are the top 20 billionaires in Malaysia, top 20 richest men in Malaysia. But if they do not pay attention to the growth of themselves, and their business, before long, they will suddenly find someone has overtaken them. That growth is an essential part of any journey in life. And more so as a disciple. If today is the day of salvation for people, if today is the day of salvation for your family members, and you do not even know how to lead them to Christ, you do not know how to, be a, you do not know how to tell them about Jesus, hey, you have to get ready. You have to grow to know that. So that's why I want to grow to know God better. You know why I want to know God better and know Him as my Father? Because so many people are hurt inside them. I want to be able to share with them what it means to know God as Father and set them free from all the hurts. I want to know God's will in my life and not just wander here, wander there. I want to know how to please Him in everywhere and obey Him because I know that when I obey Him and please Him, my, I will be on the right trajectory. I want to know that my life counts. I don't want to go have my life today, I'm doing this and tomorrow I'm doing something. I want to grow even to bear fruits for Jesus Christ because the world needs to see Jesus and the only Jesus they have is you and me. I want to grow to have pastor talk about bearing fruits. But bearing fruits is not an overnight thing. You cannot plant a mango, little mango plant and tomorrow see fruits. 
Someone has to water it. Someone has to put fertilizer on it. So it requires time. It requires inconvenience. It requires me to read my Bible. It requires me to attend some discipleship classes. It requires me that when my cell leader or my pastor says to me, come, I will disciple you. I will set aside time to do that. Because now is the time. This is the opportunity to be discipled and to grow. And why do I want to grow? So I want to be strong. When the waves come and when demons arise, I'm ready to cast out demons and I'm ready to have the storm in my heart be quietened down so that I will not be turbulent. And I want to be ready to be a witness because the world needs a saviour. Come. Why don't, if you want to grow in all this, why don't you join me in saying this? Come on. All those who want to grow, to be a strong, excellent, dynamic disciple of Jesus Christ that can influence your home influence your children, influence your loved ones, influence your workplace and impact your children, leaving a legacy for a thousand generations. If you want to grow to be that kind of disciple, why don't you join me and say, I want to grow. Ready? One, two, three. I want to grow to know God my Father and His will for my life. I want to grow to please Him in every way. I want to grow to bear fruit of Christ's likeness. I want to grow to be strong, to overcome storms and demons. I want to grow so I can become a witness and a light to this dark world. You know, recently, I, I just took, I went to a couple of ladies' groups. And in this ladies' group, we are, of course, discipling them. And one of the difficult discipleship was submission. All women don't like the word submission. So I had to... Uh, talk to them about submission. In, in the book of Ephesians, submission to the husband is after submission to the Lord. So I began to say to them, the word submission is sub under a mission, a purpose. When Jesus asks you to submit to your husband, first of all, he's training you to submit to God to be loyal to God, to obey God. So she said to me, how to submit to husband? So she gave me a very difficult scenario. So just share with you. It's kind of a fun story. Do you like a fun story? Yeah, take away the boredom. Huh? So you go to a sales, very interesting one. They ask you all kinds of questions and give you all kinds of situations. So this was an interesting situation. They were really putting me to the test. Pastor, after all my teaching, how to submit to a husband? Huh? Now, none of you husbands, men, you can go to sleep now because none of you have, are like that. It's the women that need to listen. How to submit to a husband uh, who don't love you, uh, and not really don't love you, no. He looks at you in the face, uh, I see your face also, I don't like already. Oh. In, in, in Cantonese, it's worse. This is poisonous words. Praise God, my husband has never said that in his entire life. Neither will he ever say this. And, and nudge your husband by the side. You two won't say that ever, right? Yeah. So it's a very tough question, right? How do we grow into a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, this is a non-believing husband. How does she now bring light in the midst of darkness? How does she now bear witness to who Jesus is inside? It's very tough. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 5 on submitting the husband. Before that has this verse. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, giving thanks to God always. Submit to the Lord out of reverence for Him. Now only submit to your husband. So I said to her, this is how you will now turn to your husband and speak. But before you turn to your husband and say anything, first, allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. That's why we need to grow, to allow to be led by the Spirit and not led by our flesh. That requires a real 
learning curve. And as you are led by the Spirit, how to keep your heart saturated with love and not listen to your husband's How not to receive the words pierce your heart. Don't let it pierce your heart. You know how? Sing worship at the mention of your name. Every chain will break. Even my husband will know it. Jesus, sing. Make melody in your heart. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. I said, one of the biggest things you need to do is give thanks to God. You still got the husband inside your house. He hasn't divorced you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't run away from you. Give thanks to God. It was so hard to give thanks. No, but, but give thanks. And said, so when you've done all that, then you smile. The next time your husband says, Okay, I don't know how to say it in English. In English, not so nice. See, you also don't like. Mm-hmm. The next time he says to you, Fill with the Holy Spirit. Fill with the Holy Spirit. It's not just to cast out demons. Huh? Filled with the Holy Spirit is to manage this situation that makes you lose your light. Filled with the Holy Spirit. With all that mention of your name inside you, the song, oh, Worthy is the Lord inside you. Look at your husband and smile and say, You don't like my face, but I like yours more. <laughs> Come on, give Jesus a big clap offering. Amen. Amen. You know something? The world needs a saviour. So she asked me, will it work? I said, try it for the next 10 days. <laughs> but don't forget before you try and say that to your husband, be filled with the joy of the Lord. Be filled with the confidence of God. Be filled with Jesus inside you. You can only give out love when you have been loved. Amen. And that takes time. It's out of your comfort zone. You know, the world needs a saviour. I want to end by saying the world needs a saviour. Malaysia wouldn't be what it is if the missionaries didn't pay a price. I, went, I became a Christian because of the mission schools. How many of you were brought up in mission schools? Come on, let, wow, so many. Let's all say this together. All of us who are in mission schools, praise the Lord for the missionaries. Amen? Praise the Lord for the missionaries because they really had to leave their comfort zone. They really had to severe ties with their families. These three men, Hudson Southwell, Carrie Torrey, and Frank Davidson, they were only in their 20s when they left the comfort zone of Australia. You know, Australia is a wonderful country. Nice coffee, nice sunshine, nice everything, nice coffee machine even. They left all that. And they came to the jungles of Borneo, when Borneo was full of headhunters, when Borneo was dark, when Borneo was totally gone, when even the tribes of, 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 of Borneo was being decimated by illness, by drunkenness, by witchcraft, by sorcery. But because they paid the price, today, Sabah and Sarawak is the secret for revival in Malaysia. Because that's how God in His wonderful plan allowed these three men to pay the cost of discipleship and brought the gospel to the shores of Sabah and Sarawak and now influences Malaysia. And here, I I just want to have a simpler story. You may never want to go to a a, a country that's dark. But do you know, here in SMCC, we have some young men and women. It's a small group, maybe seven or eight of them. Every Sunday at 11 o'clock, they run a service for the community. And do you know how powerful this? I went to the concert of Kids Station. And here I saw kids that were so deprived. They were so deprived that for them, stealing is not stealing. Stealing is part of life. They were so deprived that, you know, uh, Vincent would say to them, if you saw a wallet, would you take it? They would say, yes, of course, it's a blessing. And here they were trying to tell them about Jesus Christ. He was so, so freaked out. Huh? It's a blessing. Huh? 
But you know, the Lord spoke to me. The reason why they say that is because their world is dark. Their world does not know light and darkness. And here are just seven young men and women who are prepared to give up their comfort zone, give up their Sunday. Every Sunday, wind, rain, shine, they are there. They are downstairs. You might want to join them. You might want to join Life, Life Center. In Life Center over there, do you know the community is coming in? They, are, they don't even know there's a church here. You can stay here till Jesus comes again. Do you know nobody will know? It's until you get out of those comfortable chairs, go to the Life Center, do some line dancing, do some uh, tuition. That it is because of only two or three people, four people at the most, who go out there weekly to do these things, that the community begins to say, I didn't know there is a church in this place. So brothers and sisters, now is the time. Now is the time. Now I want to end with this. Yesterday I did not, and Fergus scolded me. Decision to follow Jesus has a cost, but indecision also has a cost. Do you know Jesus talked about the cost of missed opportunities? If today, I want to give an altar call. You have come to church, you have been brought to church many times by different people, but you have never given your life to Jesus. Now is the time. Do not say, let me wait a bit longer. Let me go and bury my father. Let me go and become richer. Let me go and get myself right. Let me go and get my health right. Do not say it. And to, if today, the second altar call is this, you want to grow, but you've been, for, you know, you've been saying, yeah, no need to go to spiritual warfare station, man, nah. no need to go for, uh, to read the Bible, no need to go and learn about prayer, man, nah. no need to fast and pray. But today, you begin to say, no, I'm going to be, start my growth pattern. I want to be a strong, excellent, dynamic disciple. And some of you may say, I've already grown enough. But suddenly you realise, you're not strong enough when the storms hit. You're not strong enough when the demons come. And you say, I want to be strong enough when the storms hit. I want to be strong enough when the demons come. Today is your day. Because Jesus tells a very interesting thing. Now, many of us think that once saved is always saved. Look at this. Jesus went to the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Interesting question. In other words, I want you to be growing. Because if you don't grow, you can end up downhill. Now, he said to them, look at Jesus' words. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door or the narrow gate. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. Is it possible that if you choose not to grow, that actually you can backslide to a point where even Jesus does not know us? Do you know John Piper says about this phrase, I never knew you. Pastor Chu preached on it last week in chapter 7. Away with me, I never knew you. John Piper says about this phrase, I never knew you means... You are such a stranger to God that He does not recognize you. And if today you don't want to be a stranger to God, but you want to grow, I'm going to invite you to come up to the altar. So I'm going to ask Pastor Chiu to help me. Even as we sing this song, I've decided to follow Jesus. Never let this song just be a song. 
Are we growing? Are we taking the opportunity? Now is the time for our salvation. If you have been wondering, do I grow? Do I, do I want to stay in church? Do I want not to stay in church? Now is the time. Now is the time.